uh, legally, according to like the Skype rules, I'm supposed to let you guys both know that I am recording so that we're all aware and nobody sees oh, Thank me. you so much. I, I was just worried what I was going to say. and I didn't know if it'd be recorded or not. So. Just wanted to make sure that we're all aware because I don't want to get sued. And this is on a recorded line. Is it, is it in the interest Austin, of, can you yeah, I see, I see a recording, uh, a little red dot in my top left corner. Boom. I need you to confirm that you, know that you know that you are being recorded, Austin, so everything you say could be used against you in the court of law. I am, I am, I am aware and uh, I uh, agree to being recorded. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Good. We're good. In that <laughs> case, boys, let's go. We are back after a hiatus that has been caused by COVID, not by our busy schedules, but we are all back in good spirits. We are all healthy and we are all excited to be talking Tottenham Hotspur football because this has been uh, one one heck of a, a ride these past two weeks. Austin, Chris, it's good to be back. Uh, let's start with you, Chris. How are you feeling? I'm tired, but I'm super excited. I'm pumped. That game last weekend, we'll get to it. But that was, I needed that badly. I think we all did. We did, especially after just waiting. I mean, we're used to international breaks, but in December to not have a game for two weeks, we're used to having a game, you know, every three to four days. It it was it was a little weird. Um, I was looking forward to the to the game every three days thing. Like I was really looking forward to that. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh yeah, by the way, here's ten days without anything. Good luck. Yeah, it was, it was 14 days, wasn't it? 14, yeah, something like that. It was too long. Plus, you know, the whole Europe thing, I, we'll get to it. It's just a long, long time. It has been a long time. Um, Austin, how are you doing, man? It felt really good to watch Spurs again. You know, I, I posted, I don't know if you guys saw on the match thread that I started for um, Dallas Spurs. My only comment I made is I'll believe it when I see it because I was not convinced that they weren't just going to call off the game two hours before the match again. So uh, I just I had a ball. I had an absolute ball watching Spurs play on Sunday. Uh, I got to watch it with my two my two young nephews. Uh, I got them a sun and a cane shirt, one one with the sun shirt, one with a cane shirt for Christmas. They were wearing them during the match and sun and cane both scored. So pretty good memory with my nephews. That's what that's what this is all about. Right. Is. We watch it to enjoy it and create memories. And, you know, despite the result not being quite as good as it could have been, Sorry. that is a match I will remember watching. And so it is good to have Spurs memories being created again. Um, and and I'm glad that the uh, two-week COVID hiatus looks to be past us. Amen to that. Um, what a crazy, crazy um, couple of weeks it's been for, um, for not just Premier League, 
soccer, but for all of the sports world and just the world in general. I mean, COVID cases on the rise um, have caused postponements in all sports. And so just thankful to have uh, Tottenham back and to be uh, back into a, a, the rhythm of, uh, you know, just Premier League football. And so let's dive right into it. This, this, this match against Liverpool, they were both big players missing from both squads due to COVID uh, or just illnesses or, um, you know, they don't release which players do have COVID or have tested positive, but you can just do the math based on who's missing out from the squad to, to know that. And, uh, and they place them on, you know, not being played. So from a Tottenham perspective, we were without um, a couple key players, same for Liverpool. Um, and Austin, you made a good point before we hopped on here that, uh, we were missing players in the same positions, but so it was pretty equally matched, uh, all things considered. It wasn't like we had the advantage and they had all their stars missing. And let's talk about this lineup from a Tottenham perspective. Uh, Chris, uh, is this what you expected heading into uh, this match based off of who we had available? I was so confused by who would be available and when and who was sick and, you know, the... We got so jumbled around just trying to track it over the time that all of this started that it was really, really tough coming into this to guess who was going to be there and who was not. Um, Am I surprised by who started? Yeah. I mean, I want to say, was this Ndombele's first real start under Conte? That was his first start, correct? I think it was. Um, Deli Ali, we hadn't seen him play and play well in forever. Um, Winks has had chances, but uh, obviously this was his shining moment. I, I'd have to say I was very, very excited by the lineup, uh, and I'm wondering if that excitement really was me just being more happy to see the team playing again, or if it was more just this is an opportunity for some of these bench players to come in and and maybe show a little something. I, I think I was just uh, – yeah, it was excitement. <laughs> Just seeing Spurs play, I was way too excited. I didn't care who was on the pitch as long as the as long as we got to have a match, as long as we got a game. I was just happy. Yeah, uh, Austin, uh, let's talk about our lineup. You know, we we have our three at the back with Romero being um, still recovering from an injury, and also I think he also was maybe one of the ones that, that had COVID or has COVID, but. We have the Dyer, Davies, and Sanchez back three, which is kind of what we expected if Romero's out. Uh, Emerson at right back, which is what we hope and expect as long as he's healthy, because we don't want to see uh, Doherty um, if possible. And then Sessegnon gets a start because uh, Reggie is not available. So let's talk about the back line, Austin. Uh, what were your thoughts on the starting back line? Were you, were you surprised by any of those five that we saw there? Um, no, given that Regulon was one of the players that we all assumed had COVID, um, we, you know, I kind of expected Sessignon a, a few weeks before, um, sorry, a few days before uh, the match. It was kind of leaked by one of the reporters that um, we could expect a similar lineup to the one we saw. And I was excited for Sessignon. I was excited to know that Emerson had recovered from COVID, um, and I was excited to see that we had most of our back line there. So, you know, I wasn't really surprised, but I was excited that given all the chops and, chops and changes in, in, the, in the lineup, 
that we were still going to have more or less a version of our first choice back line. So, um, and I was excited to see what Sess could do against top notch competition. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm going to leave this next question to you as well because Chris touched on it, but uh, a starting midfield of Delhi, Winks, and Ndombele. What were your thoughts heading into this? I mean, Delhi has not been the Delhi we have uh, come to love since really 2018. He has not been the same. He had a small stint throughout Mourinho's uh, tenure where he, uh, he basically at the beginning of his tenure where, um, as Mourinho said, his, his, uh, the real Delhi was there, not the brother. Um, where he performed pretty well for, what, like four to six games. But other than that, we haven't seen really any signs of Delhi. You know, even, even under Nuno, he played some at the beginning of the season, and it was more about just saying, oh, look, he's running a lot. But not being the effective Delhi that we know and that we that we have, have grown to expect in the first uh, two to three seasons that we had Delhi. And then Winks, you know. Winks is another one where... We all remember the Real Madrid winks that we saw uh, in the Champions League and, and just how he dominated the midfield and haven't really seen that in the past couple of seasons either. And then the, the Tangi effect where, you know, Tangi has struggled with all these new managers coming in and, you know, the fans, the supporters saying that Tangi doesn't, you know, just the, 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 the divide between the Ndombele uh, camps with the top supporters is pretty heavy. I believe and so all three of these players um, had a point to prove in this game, I feel like. And so, Austin, what were your thoughts pre-match when you saw that this was our starting midfield? Uh, you know, as you said, I wasn't surprised by it, given who was out um, and what was reported as, you know, the possible players that had COVID. So, you know, we saw Skip and Lucas on the bench. They clearly just didn't quite have the legs yet. Conte probably felt they didn't quite have the legs back yet to play all 90. So I think this was definitely a lineup that was brought about by circumstance, not by choice for Conte. But pre-match, I looked at it, and, you know, Winks has been improving under Conte, for sure. Um, Delhi is someone I was, I was interested to see um, if Delhi was going to step up, given the fact that he, you know, this chance was coming about because the team needed him not because a manager is taking a chance on him, right? And then Tongi was interesting because I, I wanted to see tactically how Conte would use a player like him. If he would ask him to stick to a rigid, you know, play exactly the way he asked Hoivier to play, or if he was going to give him a little bit more freedom. So pre-match, what I was really focused on was I, I knew what I was going to get out of Winks. He was going to get a lot of effort and get something similar to what he had done uh, pre this little impromptu COVID break. But with Delhi and, and Domblay, I wanted to see tactically where they were going to line up and then if they were going to take their chances. Um, I wasn't necessarily worried just because I also knew Liverpool had some midfielders out and I also knew that this is what we had. So I was more intrigued. Yeah. I want to ask you both this question and then we're going to dive into some some really you know key aspects of this game. But uh, between that midfield three... Uh, Chris, I'll go to you now, uh, but I'll ask you both this question. So, Austin, be thinking about your answer. Between <laughs> Delhi and Dombele and Wings, who uh, were you most impressed with uh, on Sunday's performance? Ooh. Um, for me, I, honestly, it was Wings. Um, I think that was probably the best performance I've seen Wings have in 
at least two, three years, um, bare minimum. Uh, but I, the way that he played, the effort, I mean, like Austin said, you know you're going to get effort out of Winks, but a lot of times the effort is there, the production is not, is probably the biggest knock on him. And in, in this match, the production was there. He was in the right places. He made clearances when he needs, needed to, as opposed to like the little uh, the tap like we had against West Ham last year where, you know, we they, they scored their third goal. Um, there were very smart tactical decisions and good positioning that he was taking up. I mean, there was just a lot of things he was doing that he was doing right. And I was I was really, really he was probably the, the piece of that midfield that I was most concerned about because I know that Delhi is talented. I know that he can get forward and he can score goals. I know that he can find places with Ndombele. I know that he can get forward. I know that he can be creative. I know what he can bring to a team with winks. That's always been the question is what's he good at? What can he do? Where, like, where's he going to fit? What, why have this guy around? And he answered some of those questions against Liverpool. Um, I've heard a lot of talk about that whole performance about him and the consistency is the big thing to look for now is can he replicate that? Can he do that again? Um, because we've seen him already just this season have a bad game. And when it's bad, it's bad. So, I mean, I, I'm, I was really impressed. I was really happy to see him playing that way. I was really happy to see him have a really, really good match. He was my man of the match for that one. Now it's just a matter of can he find his feet, find that consistency. And if Conte can bring that Harry Winks out, we might have something there. And, and I'm happy for him. And I'll, I'll you know, I'll root for him. I'll, I'll let him keep that number eight. <laughs> uh, Austin, same question to you. Um, I would also have to say Winks. Um, I think the totality of the match – Winks um, did so much, not just industrious work, but he showed the willingness to try to hit balls over the top and try to find different passes and be, I won't going to say creative, but be more progressive. Like, um, he didn't always hit the pass. There was a couple of balls over the top that he hit a little strong. But hitting those passes, even if you don't connect them, keep the defense on their toes. If, if, if two, three, four times in a row the defense leaves somebody open or mismarking somebody and they notice that, you know, you're not going to hit that pass. They, you know, are going to get more aggressive on pressing you. When you're playing a team like Liverpool, you have to, you have to take those chances and passes moving forward because otherwise they're just going to press you on the ball to death. And Winks was both on the ball and off the ball was vital was he was, he was, an integral part to what worked yesterday. Um, I think all you have to do is look at the goal that we scored with Kane early on in the game with Liverpool play one sloppy pass and Winks could have just pressed the ball, but he went all in, won it perfectly and allowed a quick, quick series of passes to find Tongi in space who did not mess up the pass and Kane finally didn't mess up the finish. Right. But it all came from, Winks uh, willing to close down open space and win a tackle um, in the way. And and I'm going to say real quick, I, I don't want to start another discussion necessarily, but the way he won that tackle reminded me of the way Skip has been winning tackles the past month or two. 
And I just wonder, we've always noticed, uh, you know, we've noticed under Pochettino in, in past that when a player comes into the squad and provides solid competition in an area, we've seen certain players react, right? And I am just wondering if possibly the emergence of Skip, especially under Conte, has really lit a fire under Winks, too, because he looks like a completely different player this past month. And honestly, this is the best performance I've seen by Winks since that Real Madrid match. And I think that would have been 2017 in the group stage. So, I mean, we're talking four years it's been since I've seen Winks play that well um, and be that important to how he plays. So um, I know a lot of love has been given to Delhi, and I think this was his best performance for us in a very long while. I think that it, that and how much we love Delhi is overshadowed the fact that he had some really bad moments too, that he spurned some amazing chances that uh, could have sealed the game for us. Uh, but his off-the-ball movement was back to being old, the Delhi of old. Um, he was getting found with some off-the-ball movements where he was running in behind. And then he made, he made a few good tackles and was pressing the ball really effectively um, and even had one good nutmeg in there, I think, at one point. Um, you know, and I think Tongi also played played really well for the 60 minutes he was on the pitch and he had the assist. But Winks, Winks really shined um, overall and throughout the whole match. Yeah, I think those are all, like, really good points. I think all three players um, played well, really, really well. Um, Delhi uh, should have had a goal. Uh, Allison made an amazing save there. I didn't Great see that save. originally. I think when I went back and I, I watched the second half a uh, little delayed from you guys, but uh, and I didn't really read uh, any of the text until after the game. But seeing that, I, I also thought after reading through it, we I think y'all originally thought that he just missed it, um, and yep. I did too. And then seeing Allison got a hand on it. Um, that was going in the corner because that when Alice got a hand on it, it, it barely pushed it wide. So that even then though, even with that great save, that still should have probably been a goal. And even with the the kind of muffed pass that Delhi had to uh, Kane in the second half, um, I still think Kane should have finished that. Um, but that could have been a cleaner pass and made it a little bit easier for Kane. Um, but I agree, Austin. The off the ball movement is huge. That's where Delhi has always. Um, been a, a shining star and in the, the Pochettino teams his off the ball movement uh, and, and finding him in space uh, allows him to play the quick passes we, we've always talked about. I think you and Chris both have highlighted that Delhi is, is great when he can be instinctive and not think about it and those are those 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 key moments where he can get behind the defense and make those runs and surprise the defense and, and play the ball quickly. That's where he's, he's really... Um, uh, shown through the years that he can be a star, and it was good to see him get in those those situations to 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 be able to have the opportunities to to score or assist, even though he didn't get either one of those or either one of those this this week. And then Anomaly had that pass was perfect, you know, perfect weight right behind Kane. Kane turning it's on his right foot and he puts it away. Um, all three players played great. And then let's talk about. Um, Let's talk about Son and Kane uh, here. You know, uh, Kane and Son both get on the score sheet uh, in the same game. I can't remember the last time that's happened uh, in a Premier League game. I don't think it's happened this year. I think the one game that Kane scored against Newcastle, I don't believe Kane scored or, or Son scored as well. So, um, 
you know, these are the two guys that scored, what, 80% of our Premier League goals last year. And they both were on the score sheet today. Kane probably could have had um, two or three goals today. Uh, honestly, the header, the the pass from Delhi, that could have been a goal. I mean, Sun played great, I think, as well. Um, your thoughts on Kane and Sun, Chris? Um, I'm not going to say that they were back to, you know, this wasn't prime Kane and Sun. This was, they still looked rusty to me, which is what I attribute kind of the, the missed finishes to. Um, I think that pass from Delhi, I, I think it's a little harsh to say that. I'm not saying he couldn't have given a better ball. I'm just thinking the ball got trapped under his feet. He couldn't get it out. And then as soon as he finally does get it over, it's slow moving. Uh, keeper has a really good chance to to spot it and and figure out where it's headed and, and cut it off where it gets there. So that's tough. Um, Liverpool's defense, considering they were without Van Dyke, I think did as best as they could without, you know, a defender, the level of, of Van Dyke um, against a striker as good as Kane and a striker as good as Son. Um, this just wasn't, it wasn't, if they were sharp, if they were at their best, we win that match probably in the first, um, what do you say, maybe the first 30 minutes, minutes definitely in the first half. That game is three to one, maybe. Um because it, but the the finishing was rusty, and I think um, the more time they have under Conte, the more time they have working with the midfield, the more time they have to get back to it, they will find their feet. And uh, I'm really just hoping that this is the goal that kind of kickstarts Kane and gets him back to a, a level of confidence where he is putting away some goals. Because I really hate the idea that Kane is on two goals and Jota over at Liverpool just got his 10th against us. So it, it's, they were just rusty. That's all I put it up to good game. Still uh, just not their, their prime level killer instinct Kane and son show like normal. So is what it is. Uh, yeah. Austin, anything you want to add on Kane and son's finishing and just the way they performed? I'm going to, I'm going to jump into this uh, after you answer Austin about the, the Kane tackle on Robertson in the first half. Oh, that. Um, I think they just, I mean, I don't think Kane was necessarily rusty. I think, you know, the header that, that, that was point blank range that went over, he didn't have, he didn't have time to jump. So it just was a little too high. Um, he did have that point that also close range turn and shoot. And then he had one right at the end of the first half, like literally almost the last kick of the first half that he just completely whiffed. But I don't think that's going in either because there was like two players right in front of him that's most likely blocked. So I think Kane's finish. I mean, the goal he scored is is that is a vintage Kane, right? First he took it on the first touch, he let it roll across his body, first touch, and he rolls it to the far corner. He didn't hit a hard bullet to the far corner, but it's you know it's it's a low shot, uh, far post. That's vintage Kane. That shows me that his instincts and his and his goal scoring abilities, you know, still there. And then his pass to Sun, um, which should have also been a goal. Sun let it bounce instead of taking on the full volley and it just short hopped him. But that was a beautiful pass from Kane. And that's what I'm talking about the rust. That's what I'm talking about. That kind of thing is normally something where they connect, I think. Yeah. 
And I, and I think that's more on Sun. To me, Sun looked rustier than Kane did. Uh, and he just had COVID, right, um, for, from what we can tell. So I, I can understand maybe he had some symptoms. Maybe he wasn't – maybe, you know, he wasn't back to his perfectly sharp self. But even the goal Sun scored, he didn't strike it cleanly. Like, it was kind of a, like, let's just scuff this into the goal type thing, right? Um, but between Delhi, Sun, and Kane – I think I counted – I'm not going to go back and recount them right now, but I think there was five golden opportunities for, like, how does the ball not go in there? Um, and I think Sun probably accounted for more of them than Kane and Delhi did. Um, on, on the two-on-one, though, Chris, I completely disagree. Delhi, the ball gets stuck under Delhi's feet because he thought about it too long. He didn't play it first time. He didn't play it quick. I think he got stuck between two minds of, do I take a shot or square it to Kane? And he decided too late to pass it to Kane, and that's what happened. And that's my overall gripe with Delhi is when he when he stops to think, he usually messes it up, right? If he just plays as his first instinct, he's incredible. Um, but but that being said, I mean, Delhi's going to be rusty. He hasn't gotten consistent playing time, you know. And Son may have been rushed back into the side, but I think Kane looked the least rusty um, out of those players. I think he should have had an assist. A son on foreign bangs bangs that in, and Kane's goal that he scored is not a high percentage chance. I mean, it, it is, but it's not at the same time. Colin, you were a you were a striker. That's a really tough finish that Kane made look really easy. So yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, Kane did a uh, had a very 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 tough. Um, that's a very tough shot. He hits it perfectly in the corner. Um, and I thought Kane played great, honestly. I mean, he could have had uh, another goal, possibly. But I think for the most part, um, Kane played really well. But he could have he could have got sent off in the first 30 minutes of the game, too. I mean, thoughts on that sliding tackle. Was that a red, Austin, for you? You know, watching it live... It looked like a like a it, you could tell it was going to be a yellow. Looking at it live, he slid in, but I also thought there was a chance he won the ball. It's definitely high. It's definitely with with one stud up, not two studs, but it's definitely high with one stud up. I think he does get the ball with his trailing leg, but it's definitely a foul. And I've seen reds given. I don't think it's a stone cold red the way some people are saying. And VR did look at it. I'm just wondering if. They ask um, the referee, did, was it John? Was it John Moss? Was it? I'm trying to remember who the referee was. Um, if they asked him to go look at the monitor, if he would have given a red for it. That's that's my only question. I I, I think it's one of those that you've seen it given before, but you're, but maybe it happened so early in the game. That's why it's not being given. That's my only thought. Um, it's not a stone cold red. It's a borderline. It's an orange card if you will. Um, <laughs> so if that, if that happens in the 65th minute and he had committed some fouls before that, maybe it's a red. Um, but I don't think it's nearly as egregious as Robertson's um, at all. Um, even my brother who I was watching with, who's kind of a soccer fan, but kind of not, he just kind of watches it when he can. Um, I was talking to my nephews about something, and my brother was the one who shouted up and said, oh, what happened over there? He just got flipped over. 
And it took like 45 seconds for him to show the replay, and I was astounded. And the referee goes and looks at, at it on the monitor, and it looks – Robertson's looks calculated and, like, purposeful, right? I think maybe they, they, they saw Keynes as not purposeful. It's dangerous, but it's not like he was trying to there's – no, there's no way Robertson's even trying to play the ball with it. So I know you didn't ask me to That's compare him. That's the key right there, yeah. To, to me, Keynes playing the ball and comes in as slightly high. Robertson's not even playing the ball. He's just trying to destroy the legs of 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 Emerson. So, yeah, it's not a stone cold red, but I've seen him given. I mean, I saw Sun get a red card for his, his pinky toe touching Rudiger on the shoulder. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you, you if it would have been given, I don't think we could argue that it's unfair. But I don't think it's stone cold decision. I mean, what what did you think, Colin? Uh, I think that it could be a, a it could it could have been a red. Um, I think that I think Paul Tierney, Tierney Paul Tierney was so card happy that game. That's it was. Yeah, it's yeah yeah. I'm a little surprised that it, I guess it wasn't a red in that sense because he was so card happy. Um, Very but, early as well. Very early with the cards. Yeah, but because he did not go to the the VAR, I think that that was because that's why he didn't get a red. Um, and I think that if that's we were, if, I think if we were Liverpool, we if the roles were reversed here, I think that we would probably say that that was a red card. But that's my biggest gripe. My biggest gripe with the VAR is implemented is so the last time we played Liverpool, Robertson had a tackle on Tangongo that was way more dangerous. They didn't go look at the monitor, pitch side monitor, and then no red card was given. I hate how inconsistent the pitch side monitor is used. For any possible red card incident, they should immediately say, "Go take a look at it, field ref." That's my that's my that's my take on it. Is if the, if the, if they are looking at a possible straight red, then they should buzz the official and say, "Go look at it," and let the on field official make the call every time. You can't play the subjective game of of sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. If if they think it's possible, dangerous play, or whatever they call it, the on-field ref should be going to the pitch side monitor and making a call. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I, I think if it was a red, I wouldn't be sitting here complaining. That's what I'm saying. Right. But, right. Um, well, well <laughs> that's, a, that's not our fault, though. Um, yeah, I thought going in – I was on a plane. Um, I was in the airport and the game was on Peacock, so I wasn't able to watch it on the actual plane because most planes these days have, like, live TVs. You could you could watch um, – I was playing Southwest. You could watch NBC and NBC Sports Network, but Peacock is not an option. And so I was watching – I was able to watch the whole first half, and then we're taking off as the first half ends. And so didn't get to watch the second half until later. But, um, man, what a um, – what a, what, what a second half. It didn't – it was all over the place, um, and yeah, I think that the Robertson red card, I guess th- this is the next big talking point here. I mean, uh, there could have been a couple penalties here. Emerson's um, tackle on Diego Jota in the first half, was that a penalty to you guys? No, no, not even mm-hmm. close. And I, and I also don't think Delhi getting pushed over was a penalty, the one for me that was missed was Winks getting completely pancaked in the box by uh, it wasn't Konate, was it? Was it? Was it? Um, 
who was it that that bowled him over, but right on the edge of the box, Winks got completely pancaked. To me, that's a stone cold one. Joja getting falling from Emerson and above from behind, that's not a that's not a penalty. And Delhi's wasn't a penalty either when he got that ball over the top and there was some contact. I don't think either of those were penalties. But Winks Winks gets pancaked and then they go down the other pitch, the other side of the pitch. Clear handball by Mo, Mo Salah not called, and they score from it. I think that 20 seconds was the referee just completely swallowed his whistle and decided just to call nothing. Um, <laughs> to me, that was that that was the most egregious part of refereeing um, in the whole in the whole match. But yeah, um, I think also talking about the 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 Harry Winks, um, you know. Potential penalty there with uh, was it Matip that came over the top of him? And it then, was Matip. Yeah, and then Matip, like a minute, yeah. a minute and a half later is when Liverpool goes down and scores a goal. Uh, it was is really just kind of all over the place. <laughs> um, was that a penalty to you, Chris? That that um, that winks um, a potential foul in the box, Liverpool box by Matip. Was that was that a penalty? Should it have been a penalty? To me, the winks one was a penalty. Um, and I know nobody wants to hear it, but honestly, to me, the Jota going down in the box was very, very close. If you're not going to call it, then you can't call any of the others to me. If you're not going to call it. Now, the, now the, the Delhi one is, even Delhi knew that wasn't a penalty. He missed it. He fell, is what it is. And he moved on with the game. He didn't even protest and look for a penalty. He just got up. Or actually, he hit the ground and then he got up and, and moved on. But the Winks and the Jota fouls or no calls to me could have very, very, very easily been penalties. Uh, with Jota, it's coming in from the back. He does go down. Uh, given the angle from where the ref probably would have been standing, it would have been very, very easy for him to call that a penalty. And it would have been a whole VAR mess to try and fix it. Um, I, I Honestly, I think that could have been a penalty, and I'm just glad he didn't call it. Um, the Winks one, also a penalty for me. He clearly just gets cleared out. So, I, I don't know. I mean, that was one not getting called for me just because the other wasn't called. But they could have both been penalties. Yeah. Um, Austin Robertson, red card. Was that a red? Absolutely. Sorry. Uh, that's that's a red every day of the week i i don't know what robertson's it's two it's two matches in a row i think that robertson could have broken the leg of one of our defenders i mean the 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 he did hurt tanganga the previous match um with a studs up tackle right on the middle of the shin that was a foul wasn't even called and then i mean all he did was literally like like he was it was like a UFC fight, the way he just kicked the legs out from under Emerson. There was no way you could even argue he was going for the ball. I mean, the, the he was he didn't he didn't, he wasn't trying to stick his leg between Emerson's leg or around. He went and kicked at it as if he was punting a, a free kick, like all the way down the pitch. Uh, I have no idea what he's arguing about. I mean, that's a stone cold of the red. As I, I think it wasn't called a red initially because the referee was far away from the action. It wasn't, you know, we had kicked a long ball over to Emerson and the referee was catching up to the play, but he went over to the monitor and it took him 10 seconds 
he looked at two camera angles and then immediately made the decision. I mean, that's that's a stone cold red. And honestly, Robertson has a history of really dodgy, aggressive tackles and dangerous tackles. And I, you know, I um, I I don't know how he how he could even argue that one. He, yeah, when I, I was watching that in real time, and I, I was talking to my girlfriend or fiance. Wow, fiance, I'm so geese. Talking to my fiance, and she's weird like, to say that we're we're, we're, we're being recorded, Colin. So make sure you get that right. And she listens too. Hey, babe. Uh, <laughs> but I was, she was asking, is that a pen? And I was like, yeah, that's a pen. That. Wait, but did she say pen? Penal- is that a, is that a penalty? She said. <laughs> Okay, she said penalty. No, okay, no. I thought she, she said, said is that a red? She said is that a red card? And I said yeah. I was like I think that's a red card, but because of the Kane situation, I just didn't really know. You know, like I didn't, I didn't know if. But I was like it, it could be. It very well could be. And then he goes to the monitor and gives a red card. So, um, I, 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 I had little hope that we would score. Honestly, I think that Liverpool then just decided to sit back. Uh, I think we had a better chance of scoring that third goal if if Robertson stays on the pitch based off of just the way Liverpool would approach the game and not sit back. But um, I, I think it's a red. He, it was very uh, – he just took him out, and he could have really messed up Emerson's knee there. But um, anyways, real quickly, let's just uh, trans, transition to the subs here. Uh, Austin, what were your thoughts on the subs? Uh, we have um, you know Bergvine coming in. Skip coming in, and who who else came in? Um, was it Bergman or Lucas? Uh, no, no, it also, was Lucas. It was oh, Lucas, Lucas Regulon and Skip. Lucas, yeah, Skip, you're right. Yep, Sorry, yep. Lucas Regulon and Skip all come in. Any thoughts on those players um, coming in? Uh, I'm starting. To, I'm starting to get a pattern a little bit from Conte. If we're in a decent position, he likes to make a defensive or solidifying sub before making the attacking sub. So he brings Skip in for Tongi so that he can make sure that we kind of bolster that midfield before bringing Lucas on for um, for uh, Delhi, right? Knowing that Lucas is going to run 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 his butt off and and try to create with the ball at his feet. Um, to to me the the really weird question was actually Liverpool sub when they brought they brought Firmino on for a midfielder and went with four attackers none of which are really good accomplished midfielders you know the all out attack and I think that played into our hands a little bit because Conte made a defensive midfield sub first he took off a more attack minded Tongi for Skip. Um, and then we were able to try to kind of hit on the break. And honestly, even before the red card, it was kind of, we looked way more likely to, to score a winner. Right. And, um, I think, I think I'm, I'm noticing with Conte's substitution patterns that he looks to use his first substitution to be tactical, whether it's whole, you know, exploit or, or, or bolster a, certain part that might need a little bit more defensive solidity and then look to find a way to win the game with another sub. Uh, Lucas, I think, came on and was a breath of fresh air for us a little bit. And then he almost always subs one of the two fullbacks, one of the two wingbacks. Um, and bringing Sassian off for Regulon was just, for me, getting Regulon on the pitch, but also Sassian, my man of the match, I know you haven't asked that yet, but 
my man of the match, Incessant, ran his tail off to contain both Trent Alexander Arnold and Mo Salah, who I don't know if you guys noticed, but Cessnion did such a good job that Klopp had to, with his substitutions, when he brought Firmino on, he moved Salah to the attacking midfield position. He moved Salah centrally away from the flank just to try to get him on the ball more. That's how well Cessnion did on our defensive left side. Um, I think the subs played fine. I mean, Reguilon was on the pitch for a short while, but um, I think it was an interesting use of substitutions from Conte, and it worked. I mean, you got to say it worked, right? So, uh, but that is a pattern I'm going to track to see if that continues, because I think I've noticed that in the first few games. Yeah, um, I agree. The substitutions, I think, were smart. Um, you know, those midfielders ran a lot, uh, and so it made sense to to sub them uh, when he did. And, uh, yeah, I have no issues with any of those subs. Uh, Chris, at the end of the day, uh, a draw, one point against Liverpool at home. Um, Well-deserved draw. Sorry, if you hear uh, actually, Q talking let, let me, in the background. You're fine. Let me rephrase <laughs> that question real quick for Q, for Q's sake, okay? Um, was that a, is that 1.1 or two points dropped? I'm going to say two points dropped, actually, because, and, and that's really just because of the chances that we missed. I think if we put those chances away earlier in the match, then we we win that game, and I, I really wish we had to. I, I knew when I saw us missing all, a lot of those shots that it was just, it, it was kind of written in the stars, like, okay, we're not finishing what's on, honestly just being laid on a platter for us. Uh, I could see the draw coming about a mile away. So honestly, I feel like, well, it is a good point to have. And I think down the line, it could be very valuable considering in this run of matches that were a little bit lighter. This one was going to be the big fixture we were all kind of looking at to say, here's the real watermark for Conte Spurs. People have had quite a few matches ahead of this to kind of gear up and find his team and implement his game plan. So Liverpool is the first real test. So coming out with a point when, if you would have asked me before, I wouldn't have expected us to come in and play that well. Um, it's a good point, but it's still two points dropped. Best I can say. Okay. Uh, Austin, same question to you. Point uh, dropped here? Or two points dropped or a point gained? Um, I definitely, I think a lot of me agrees with what Chris is saying and being two points dropped to play devil's advocate and give the other side. Um, I think before the match, most of us would have taken a point if you, if, if we were asked, uh, if we, if we were given it. Um, but also there are plenty of teams who miss their chances against, uh, Liverpool and end up losing. Um, and our defense played so well that all of those missed chances didn't come up to bite us and cost us all three points, right? Um, they had the, the the open header right off the bat, like the second minute of the match, and then they created an an amazing goal for the first for the first goal. They were incredibly fortunate with the second goal, and honestly, we had all of the great chances in the second half. So our defense earned us a point. Is the way I'm gonna is the way I'm going to see it because 
we're going to start finishing chances once the team starts clicking. Uh, we were unfortunate that the team didn't start clicking before this match, but we also had two weeks off because of COVID. Uh, the the facility was closed down by the government for like four or five days. We had no idea who was going to be fit and who was going to be ready. We had a whole new midfield that had never played together in Conte's system, right? Sessignon, who had yet to really have a big chance in a big moment match. And for like I said, I'll reiterate, for me, was man of the match. Um, so... All things considered, while we could have easily won that game, and we probably should have, I still think that's a hard point earned because we had a lot of things that could have easily allowed that game to slip away, and we could have had plenty of excuses as to why that why why that would have happened. So between our defense playing well and our midfield going toe-to-toe with one of Europe's elite teams right now, I'm going to see that as a point earned. Um, but I totally... Tomorrow, if you ask me the same question, I might give you Chris's answer. That's fair. Um, I'll, I, 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 I feel a point earned, I, I think, just in the sense of uh, where we have been as a club. I know it's uh, it, there were a lot of chances, probably should have had three goals in the first 45 minutes alone, but uh, a point earned for me as well. Um all right, real quickly, I want to wrap this match up and move on to a, a, a preview of West Ham before we discuss some uh, just craziness in the UEFA. Um, biggest takeaway from this fixture, Chris, I'm going to give it to you first. What's your biggest takeaway from this fixture? Uh, probably Conte's use of what would I, honestly be our reserve players. Um, if he's able to get those kind of performances out of Sessegnon and Winks and even Delhi, then that provi- provides a lot better, a lot more competition for starting 11 p- places. Um, that takes a lot of players who were fringe, probably on their way out or on a way to a loan move, and maybe he can get something from them while they're still in a Spurs shirt. There's just, I like the idea of, of being able to have some some quality of depth to the team is probably the big takeaway that I would go with that. And to see a midfield, like Austin was saying, a midfield three that hadn't played together, that hadn't really played in the Conte system, and to see them perform that well against one of Europe's elite teams at the moment tells me that Conte, his system is obviously working, the players are buying into it, and we've always needed our depth players, our bench players, to really buy into a system and really start to perform and and push the starting eleven. So... That's probably my big thing is it's it's just good to see those those reserve players actually get out and give a good showing for themselves, a good account. Austin, same question to you. Um, I'm going to say actually the same thing, that there was, you know, three or four players on the pitch that I was interested to see how they were going to respond to the moment. And they all impressed me. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll take Chris's answer just a slightly different direction in that. Tactically, we were always wondering where would Delhi fit into the side, and we had all all three of us kind of speculated that maybe he fits in that attacking three. That's exactly where Conte played him. He played him as an attacker, not as really a midfielder, but as an attacker of when we have the ball, get forward or make runs off the you know off the ball in between center backs, and when we don't have the ball, press your butt off um, high up the pitch. 
and and help put your midfield in better positions, which he did. He caused a lot of loose passing, um, a lot of opportunities for Ndombele and especially Winks to clean stuff up. So we got a glimpse of what a Delhi um, in, in Conte system could be. And Delhi in form and match fit probably has a goal and an assist in that game. Um, for Tongi, he played in a double pivot for Winks. Winks is the one that closed down space and did a lot of running. And Tongi was allowed a little bit of freedom. And was in basically, from what I could tell, was trusted with finding space and being the one to make kind of cutting passes. He hit two other balls in that first half, one to Sun that Sun didn't play perfectly to get in behind, but it connected. And then one more that just didn't quite come off. Um, but he was the one that was causing Liverpool's uh, defenders a lot of issues and he was constantly breaking free into space he wasn't found all the time and I think you know that's going to be something that would have to come over time but tactically seeing those three players uh, in the midfield really fill those positions uh, was interesting but the biggest takeaway for me is that Sessignon is a real player he's a stud right he can be He he has the potential to be his athleticism, his pace, his tenacity, um, all of his best attributes were on display in a big moment against one of the best teams in Europe where the team really needed him, right? And I know he had that rough match in Europe where he got sent off, um, and I know that he he know he feels like this is a big moment for him in his career, but that was a huge match, and he... He really stepped up. I'll say it for the third time. He was my man of the match because Alexander-Arnold and Salah on the same side is a scary freaking thing to watch play against your team. <laughs> like, so scary. And all of Liverpool's play came down the other side. All of Liverpool's play, if you go look at the pass map, like 80% of their attacking movement came down the other side because he was doing such a good job of marking them in my mind. So... Between the midfield, the, the kind of the BT midfield players showing up and, and really filling interesting tactical roles and then having Sessignon be, be the man of the match, who is the backup wingback, that's got to be the big takeaway, right? That not only can we compete and go toe-to-toe with Liverpool, but we can do it with players that none of us would have put in our first choice starting 11s. Yeah. Um Okay, I guess I do want to ask one more question because while you were both talking, I thought of a question. So, um, quickly, Chris, I'm going to go to you first. You look ready with Q in your hands. Um, Who is your – all players are healthy based off of what you've just seen. Who is your starting 11 for Tottenham uh, in a win or go – like a must-win match? Who's in the – Starting, okay, 11, all starting 11. All players are healthy. Full, uh, squads, full squads available. Hugo is the keeper. Emerson at right wing back. Um, I would probably... Ooh, that right center back position is probably the weirdest run right now. Okay. Going with the wing backs, Emerson and Sessegnon. I would probably honestly stick with Davies right now at the left center back. He just looks good there. Dyer would be right in the middle. And I'm going to go with uh, Romero as my right center back. Um, I'd probably end up using the uh, still using the Hoy Bier skip 
midfield. Um, yeah, the Hoy Bear skip midfield. I'd probably go right back to Kane, Lucas, and Son up top. Hoy Bear. Wait, who is your midfield? Hoy Bear and Skip. And then Kane, Son, Lucas? Yep. Okay. Austin? Um, I think I would go with the identical back line. It's tough for me to choose Sessignon over Regulon yet. Uh, I think as far as ceiling, Sessignon has a higher ceiling, but Regulon is more of a known, known quantity and is definitely still, you know, already made wing back. So I think I'd probably pick Regulon over Sessignon right now. That by the end of the season, that might change. Um, but Ray, but I would definitely do Emerson, uh, Romero, Dyer, and Davies uh, as the other members of the back line. I think I, too, would go with Skip and Hoybier right now. If we're saying right now all players healthy, I think those two are just too industrious. Um, they do lack a little bit of cre- creativity, but that's why I would not go with Lucas, Son, and Kane. I would go with Son and Kane and then... <sighs> We haven't seen it yet, but I mean, I would probably, I would be, I would be tempted to put um, either Delhi or Ndombele up top with them, depending on who we're playing. So if it's a team that we need to have a lot of off the ball running and a more pressing, I'd put Delhi. If it's a team that we expect to sit back against us, I would put Ndombele. Um, just because I think Lucas off the bench is so dangerous, and he doesn't offer you much creative passing, but he offers you. A little bit of everything else. Um, I think depending on who we're playing, Delhi or Ndombele would be a better fit for that front three. If we need more uh, pressing and off-ball movement, we go with Delhi. If we need more uh, creativity and ball retention against the team that sits back against us, I would go with Ndombele. I know we haven't seen that technically yet, but that would allow us to play Skip and Hoybier together, who I think are our most defensively sound and uh, and and consistent midfield pairing. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's good. I want to go with. Um, I hate putting Davies in the starting eleven. Uh, but yeah, I don't think I don't see who else. So Davies, Dyer, Romero, uh, Emerson, Rahilon, uh Oybear, Skip. Um, I hate putting Delhi in there after one performance. It's, it's just really hard. Like, I need to see more of it consistency. Like, I, I'm the biggest Delhi fan here on this podcast, I think. Uh, but even with that being said, I need to be realistic. Uh, although, I mean, we got Delhi did play that that role, the Lucas role. He did play the role, the higher the pitch role, but. I would still go with Lucas now, just based off of what we've seen um, under Conte for the duration of it. And then uh, Son and Kane. So, anyways, I thought that that would be a fun exercise, but it turned out to be just the same starting 11 before COVID. So, um, (laughs) for two of us, anyways. Uh, Okay, West Ham on Wednesday, Carabao Cup quarterfinals. Quarterfinals, guys. We are three wins away from a cup. We haven't had a, a... Okay. We haven't won a tournament. Uh, we haven't lifted a trophy in 13 years. Um, Austin, do you have an update on West Ham and where they are in this COVID chaos that we're currently experiencing? 
I have no idea where West Ham is. I would, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that every team has some cases, but I have not seen anything with West Ham. Um, I don't really look at West Ham news very often, though, on purpose, so I'm not really, uh, it's not really surprising that I don't. But it sounds like, you know, the Premier League clubs are, are want to push through with at least league games. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think the game will probably go through. But, and, and we're definitely on the backside of it, at least for a little while. If, if this strain, the Omicron strain is like the others where, you know, temporary immunity kind of happens. Um, you know, I, I, I think that unless West Ham gets an outbreak tomorrow, this game's got to uh, kind of go through. Okay. Well, well, let's not do all crazy predictions because we don't know what's going on. But I would like to do some quick predictions for this West Ham game. Uh, Chris, I'm going to head to you first. West Ham in the Carabao Cup. Do we know where this game's being played? Tottenham or um, London? I was actually just pulling it up. And as soon as I did, everything moved around and Q started wiggling. It's uh, we're, playing at, uh, we're playing at Spurs. So okay. we're at home. At home. Uh, Austin? Yeah, I was just I was just trying to say that. Yeah, we're at home. No pred- prediction. Oh, you want to me first? Um, poof. Ugh, so many things could happen. I think we'll win. Um, and I think we'll actually score two 0 I think we might. I, I trust our defense. West Ham has been a little shaky. I, I trust our defense, and uh, I think we're gonna put a couple goals up. So I'll say two 0 Okay. Um, Chris, what's him? Uh, two to one. As much as I want to say it'll be nil and our, our defense will hold up, West Ham are just, we've talked about it so many times on this podcast, that West Ham are just that team that for some reason they can have the worst, the, they can be in the, in the middle of the worst season in West Ham history and they'll show up to Spurs and play as if, all of a sudden, they're world class. So they're going to steal a goal. I would imagine they're actually probably going to score first. And then we will actually get our shit together. Um, but, yeah, two to one for me. But two to one with, with a Spurs win. Okay. I'll go uh, I'll go three one Spurs win here. And then we're not going to spend too much time on the, the Tottenham Palace preview here. Let's just do some quick predictions. I know Q is getting a little bit uh, antsy here. Chris, Tottenham Palace on the weekend at home. Kind of got embarrassed at Selhurst Park earlier in the year when Nuno was in charge uh, with a red card. Uh, that was the Tanganga uh, red card that we had uh, earlier yeah. on, uh, in case you don't recall. Nope. Um, <laughs> what is your thoughts here on that uh, picture? I think we're going to give a much better account this time than last time. Um much better organized team than what we're seeing under Nuno, much more organized, not just organized, but much more motivated is a, what I was looking to say. Um, so, yeah, I, I think just the motivation factor was probably a big part of uh, the Crystal Palace at first. But this one could be a, uh, a much better looking Tottenham side than than what Palace faced before. Um, trying to go back to the standings and look at Palace's form going into that, but I don't think they're doing great because they're Palace, and they usually aren't doing great. I got it real quick, if you don't mind, if you want to oh. wait a second. Uh, Palace One had, win in five. Yeah, they beat Everton 
um, which seems everyone's doing it other than us. They've lost to Leeds, United, uh, Drew Southampton, and lost to Villa. Yeah, so I think we should go into Palace with some confidence, especially considering uh, what we saw uh, this weekend. And hopefully we'll see again on uh, against West Ham. So, yeah, I, I'm going to say a win against Palace. I'm going to say a, a convincing win. I'm going to say we beat Palace uh, two to nothing. Austin, Palace weekend at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Revenge for uh, this, 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 this Spurs team who uh, got embarrassed at Selhurst Park earlier. You know, the festive fixtures tend to cause some pretty wonky scorelines. Score um, the league's a little topsy-turvy um, I have predicted multiple times that the floodgates would open under Conte and they have yet to do so but I really feel like it's coming I'm going to predict 4-0 against, against Palace I think you know they, they are an up and down team but they're known Conte I think they are a team that Conte is really good at game planning against given they have a very specific and easy to know, like it's a known quantity how how they play. So Conte can game plan against it pretty easily. Um, it, it's a London rival. It's at home. Conte's creating this, this kind of, uh, this kind of mentality of making home a fortress. I, I just have a feeling that, you know, Boxing Day fixtures, New Year's Day fixtures, they tend to have some pretty crazy scorelines. I'm thinking something like 4-0. Okay. Not going to uh, lie, Q heard the 4-0 started rocking a little bit with that. So, just FYI. <laughs> I, I'm going to go uh, 2-1 here, a little bit closer. Um, just don't feel super comfortable uh, predicting a, a super large victory. But... Uh, 2-1 here. That would give us, don't forget guys, we have some games in hand from this Premier League because all this COVID chaos, but um, that would lead us to, to two victories this week heading into the Christmas fixtures, which we all know, or the New Year's Day fixtures, which is are pretty hectic. Um, but I know we need to wrap this up. We're a little over an hour at this point. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to discuss in detail I'm going to let Austin uh, just take it away um, next week on the UEFA ruling with all of the Conference League. Uh, not going to get to that today, um, but Austin, drop a, write up a little 500-page uh, essay for me, or 500-word well, you know, 500, 500 essay, not page. We'd be here for a yeah, hour. Write us a novel with a we, legalization <laughs> of it. Write up a 500 work of non-fiction novel. Yeah, write up a short 500-word uh, short, short story for us next week about the Conference League and what's been going on there. Uh, we'll, we'll record again early next week to uh, review both of these fixtures that we have, but it's good to be back, guys. Uh, like I said, um, it's been a long time since we've seen Tottenham play, but I think it was worth the wait. Uh, at least for me, I will say that it was worth the wait. So, uh, as always, guys, I appreciate your time. And uh, for everyone listening, please listen to the end. Uh, we have our socials. Please ask some questions. We'd love to answer those. And as always, come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs.